0: is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 843 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is, what, April the 5th, 2023, and this is episode 698 Coming up on seven hundred of Bitcoin, and some sad news. Uh, Jack's partner, uh, of course, we're talking about Jack Dorsey, a uh, guy who helped him build square and block, cash app, the whole the whole nine. guy named Bob Lee. Um, he got stabbed to death in San Francisco. That that cesspool is is just becoming out of control because this apparently happened, you know, he wasn't, it's not like Bob Lee was, you know, walking around a slum or something like that. Uh, Well, San Francisco has kind of become a giant slum, but be that as it may, he wasn't, it's not like he was walking around in quote unquote, a bad part of the neighborhood. It looked like he was, looks to me like he was walking around uh, downtown and got stabbed to death. And when the news first came out uh hacker news had it uh and then jack replied to it wtf and then um because the the news the the, the news story that was given by hacker news actually didn't mention bob lee's name at the time it just said a man in san francisco was was stabbed to get to to death uh that story has since been updated to reflect the fact that it was in fact bob lee but um In the thread from, uh, in Noster, we've got us, we've got people that are saying, uh, like Mango PhD said, wait, this is real. I thought, I thought it was fake. Jack replied directly to that, said, it's real. Getting calls, heartbreaking, breaking. Uh, Bob was instrumental to Square and Cash App, uh, STL guy. So we got to say goodbye to him. So do we have any, do we have any, um, Details and like I said, this SF Gate report has been updated. Uh, Amy Graff has it. Uh, it says, Report Cash App founder killed in San Francisco stabbing. I don't know why she didn't say murdered, but whatever. A Bay Area tech executive has been identified as the man killed in a stabbing in San Francisco early on Tuesday, according to NBC Bay Area. Bob Lee, who was only 43 years old, died after being found, stabbed, on the 400 block of Main Street in Soma, S-O-M-A. Lee was chief product officer of MobileCoin, the former chief technology officer of Square, and the founder of Cash App. Police have made no arrests or released any information regarding possible suspects. Uh, So there you go. Um, Bob Lee, you know, RIP, Bob Lee. Now, I didn't know about the guy. I didn't know of him. I did not realize that he was the founder of Cash App. But this is a really, you know, really sad day. Spe- specifically, it's a sad day for Jack Dorsey. So, you know, I reach out with condolences because I'm sure that they were good friends. You don't work alongside somebody at that level for that long without, you know, having a, a bonding relationship. So, Jack's friend. Bob Lee, you know, rip. Yeah, so I hate to start that off with, you know, a somber note, but th- this is what we live in right now. We have the chance to change it. And it's not just with Bitcoin. It's with our attitudes. It's with our actions. It's with everything. Um, how to do it. Your guess is as good as mine. But one one thing is for sure. I do know that it's not just some kind of alien signal out of the blue that's getting people to go into schools and shoot them up, stab people on, you know, stab each other on the streets in San Francisco, Chicago, New York City. It's a pressure. It's not alien signals. It's a pressure. It's not satanic demonic possession. It's a pressure. And that pressure is what? The feeling of destitution. And as long as we allow these people that have been doing this to us for well over 100 years, it's going to continue. Now, what I've never understood is how these quote-unquote human beings can leverage that kind of pressure knowing the damage that they're causing. So my question becomes, do they really understand the pressure that they're causing? I can't imagine that they don't. Which then leads me to a second question. Are they human at all? Is it, is it possible that lizard people actually exist? And my answer to that is no. I don't think lizard people actually exist. But I do think that there's, there's probably a, a good set of human beings that are not really all that human. And maybe it's because they are missing part of their frontal lobe. I, I don't know. Some kind of genetic defect Something that doesn't really put them, you know, doesn't really give them a, a sense of grounding in humanity. That somehow or another they're, they view themselves as apart from humanity and therefore look at us as bugs to be squashed. Because I can't think of anything else. You know, th- we never used to have these problems. You know, if, I mean, even in the 80s, when I was in high school, Nobody walked into a school with a gun and started shooting people up. And it wasn't exactly like the 80s was detached from, you know, the maniacal machinations of the idiocy that's been going on in government and central banking levels for decades before. I mean, 70s saw some of the worst recessionary policies ever devised by human beings. It was just terrible. But yet still, nobody walked into schools and started shooting up people. In fact, if I remember correctly, the first time that I even became aware of, quote unquote, a mass shooting was when postal workers were going postal. There, That was the whole, when you go postal, if you've ever understood, never, ever wondered where that term came from, it was because for, it, I think it was in the very late 70s and, or the very, or maybe it was the mid 80s. That was when you first started hearing about it, but it was with the United States Postal Service. And it didn't really happen that often. It happened like a couple of times, but, you know, and it was bad. It it wasn't like it was good. It was terrible and horrible and reprehensible and all that. But it seemed sort of contained. And then we had the Tylenol thing where people were, some guy was poisoning Tylenol, uh, pill or bottle putting poison in bottles of, of Tylenol, which is now why you have that little metallic peel off thing. When you open a bottle of pills, there's always a peel off thing to It's called an anti tamper, uh, mechanism so that, you know, if somebody's gotten in there and killed a bunch of people with, you know, poisoned Tylenol. And I can't remember what the poison was, but it happened. And it's just, it's just become worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And worse. But again, it was very few and far between. So clearly it's not that something has changed. It's that I think we have, we've come to the limits of human exhaustion when it comes to how much bullshit we're willing to put up with. And the problem is is that the gateways to be able to release that pressure right now seem to only be about killing each other. And that's just, there's, got, there's a way out of this. I just wish I could tell you exactly what it is. I know Bitcoin is part of it, but only because it's not Bitcoin itself that gets us out of it. It's because it collapses the ability of the people that have been doing this to us for decades upon decades. It takes their power away. Bitcoin doesn't necessarily directly fix anything. It's that it completely destroys that which is doing the damage. So we'll let you chew on that one while we get to this. Uh, MicroStrategy adds another 1,045 Bitcoin to its growing crypto treasury, Joseph Hall Coin Telegraph. MicroStrategy, the American business intelligence firm, has just announced its latest acquisition of an additional 1,045 Bitcoin for approximately $29.3 million at an average price of $28,000 and $16 per Bitcoin. This news was announced in a tweet by MicroStrategy's executive chairman, Michael Saylor, on April the 5th. As of April the 5th, 2023, MicroStrategy now holds a total of 140,000 Bitcoin, which were acquired for approximately $4.17 billion U.S. at an average price of $29,803 per BTC. This news comes as a significant milestone for the company as it continues to invest in Bitcoin as a reserve asset. Number 14 on Cointelegraph's Top 100 in Crypto, Saylor has been an outspoken advocate for Bitcoin and has been leading the charge for corporations to adopt the largest cryptocurrency as a strategic asset. Saylor has repeatedly stated that Bitcoin is the most secure and reliable store of value that exists in the market today and that it offers a unique opportunity for businesses to protect their assets from inflation. Sailors MicroStrategy recently repaid its Silvergate loan and bought 6,500 BTC at the end of March. The company's Bitcoin strategy appears to be a dollar cost averaging but with, you know, vast amounts of money. MicroStrategy made its first Bitcoin <coughs> purchase in August of 2020, and since then the company has been consistently adding to its holdings. The latest purchase brings the total amount of Bitcoin owned by MicroStrategy to over $12.6 billion, which is a testament to the company's confidence in the long-term potential of the cryptocurrency. And what did Bitcoin do? It came down to $28,133 after hitting $28,500 and something sometime last night. And it actually got down to $28,018. And it looked like it did that right after this news was released. And that always happens. Every single time Michael Saylor and MicroStrategy make a a, a release of these purchases, the very first thing that happens is that some idiot somewhere decides to sell their Bitcoin. I don't get it. It's weird, but it is what happens. So at least, you know, Bitcoin has decided to recover to uh, you know, recover out of $28,018, which is just $2, was just $2 above the average purchase price per Bitcoin overall for MicroStrategy. I think that that's actually kind of funny. Uh, he now actually, just so you know, Michael Saylor, according to something that I saw earlier this morning, now owns one out of every 150 Bitcoin that will ever exist. Quite a feat but when you think about it he still owns microstrategy still owns less bitcoin than Barry Silbert's gbtc and they're in a lot of trouble so we're not out of the woods yet we're still at the tail end of this massive hurricane that blew through and trees are still blowing sideways don't think at all that you can take a breath and go it's all over it's not all over you still don't do not It's just like flying in a plane. Just because you've landed on the tarmac, do not unbuckle your seatbelts. Do not get out of your seat. Stay fully seated until the plane has come to a full stop at the gate. Then we will tell you when you can release the seatbelts. And that time is not here yet. I'm not even sure if we're firmly on the tarmac yet. I think we may actually still be coming in for a landing. So just... Just thought i'd throw that out there now the bitcoin company launches card linked offers allowing automatic bitcoin rewards i was going to bring this to you yesterday but i didn't have time bitcoin magazine btc casey the bitcoin company a bitcoin rewards company has launched a new feature called card linked offers that allow users to turn all of their credit and debit cards into bitcoin reward cards The feature will allow users to earn Bitcoin back on their card purchases automatically when they shop at eligible merchants such as Allbirds, Pete's Coffee, Circle K, Gap, PetSmart, and more. The CLOs, as they're known, feature is available in the United States only to start with, although the company plans to expand the list of countries and eligible merchants over time. According to the Bitcoin company, users can easily link their cards once via Plaid in the TBC app to set up CLOs. From there, they can earn Bitcoin back whenever they shop in-store or online with eligible merchants without the need to activate deals before shopping. In addition, users can supercharge their rewards by linking their existing debit and credit cards as a payment method in the app to buy gift cards and stack them with shop online affiliate cashback offers. Okay, that's nice. That's always good to know. Quote, we're here to make living on Bitcoin a standard. Oh, hold on. I messed that up. Quote, we're here to make living on Bitcoin, on a Bitcoin standard, the norm. Sorry guys, having a little bit of difficulty this morning, (laughs) said the Bitcoin company. The company also plans to release a web app version of its mobile application for even more privacy in the future. And the beta version of the web app will be live in about two weeks, TM. In addition, the company plans to introduce more rewards earnings features soon, including cashback online shopping programs, phone top-ups, travel deals that allow users to earn up to 30% Bitcoin back when they book hotels through the Bitcoin Company app. Quote, we're excited to tease that we've got more reward-earning features coming soon, said the Bitcoin Company. Stay tuned for updates on those upcoming features and get ready to spend and earn even more Bitcoin effortlessly. The Bitcoin Company has partnered with Plaid Card, spelled card with a K, and very good security for open banking, merchant-funded offers, and PCI compliance, respectively. The company also teased at plans to launch a Mexico remittance tool that will allow users to send Bitcoin and load up pesos to a Mexican bank account in seconds, as well as a credit card roundup feature into Bitcoin similar to Acorns. All right, so why is this bad for Fold? Because as far as I know, Fold still does not offer the ability for me to just take my Wells Fargo debit card and link it directly to Fold so that I can use my debit card as a Fold card. Hell, I wouldn't even have a problem if they wanted to take a little bit off the top. I mean, they got to pay bills, right? They had to keep the lights on. They've got families to feed. So I wouldn't mind that. And I would rather use Fold because the whole thought of Plaid, which I, I know, I've, i, I Pretty sure that I have to use plaid when I'm connecting to fold anyway, but it just the whole thought of that, you know, using plaid again with another outfit just kind of gives me the willies. I'm sure the Bitcoin company is a fine, fine outfit. I'm sure they've done their due diligence and all that, but still, how hard is this? You know, and by the way, I'm not exactly sure how long, I mean, because this is kind of a fiat on ramp to Bitcoin. You know, will rewards, will Bitcoin rewards programs, systems, cards, and whatnot, will they come under the thumb of Gary Gensler? Will the SEC start having a conniption fit about the fact that when I pay an electric bill, that somehow or another I'm getting sats back on that? But like I said, and I don't know, maybe Fold is doing this because I just, I I kind of stopped using it because I got tired of making an ACH transfer, waiting three days and then doing what I need to do. Right. I mean, sure. I guess I could just shove it all into, you know, into my Fold card and sit there and just pay monthly bills out of it and just do it once. But even then, it, there's something about that that just, it just rankles me. I'm so used to just like I've I've been zapping people on Noster for so long and just like sending out blasting five sats instantly to almost every, you know, every note that I read. And I just I've gotten to the point where I don't understand this wait time. I don't get it. So if Fold is not allowing me at this point or you to attach my Wells Fargo debit card and get SATS back directly from purchases on that card then Fold's got some competition here. So, you know, I hope the guys over at Fold take note and figure this out. And if I'm completely wrong and they do offer that that thing, somebody please let me know, preferably through a Boostagram. Now, Ethereum projects unite to protect users from MEV-induced high prices. I know. We're going to talk about shitcoinery. But this is going to be an object example. (coughs) And Arjeet Sarkar gives it to us from Cointelegraph. Over 27 prominent Ethereum projects joined hands to launch MEV Blocker, a solution that aims to tackle and minimize the amount of value extracted from their users, a.k.a. maximally extractable value, or MEV, which is Ethereum's invisible tax. MEV is a tax imposed on decentralized finance users on transactions. MEV bots can hijack transactions midway, such as ether trades, non-fungible token purchases, and Ethereum name service registrations, and inflate prices for the users. MEV Blocker was jointly developed by COWSwap, Agnostic Relay, and BeaverBuild as a free and censorship resistant tool to counter this $1.3 billion problem persistent across the Ethereum shitstorm. I mean ecosystem. In total, 27 Ethereum projects joined the initiative as launch partners, including Balancer, Gnosis DAO, Shapeshift, and Stake Dow to name a few. Explaining the intention behind launching MEV Blocker, Martin Koppelman, CEO of Gnosis stated, quote, with the launch of MEV Blocker, users can profit from the back running opportunities that they create. Today All of that money is taken by the searcher, but why shouldn't it be split with the people who create value? MEV blocker can be added as a custom remote procedure call endpoint to a crypto wallet, which in turn can protect users from front running and sandwiching when using any Ethereum decentralized application. According to the official announcement, MEV Blocker sends at least 90% of the profits from winning bids back to users and 10% to validators as a reward, thus giving power back to Ethereum users. While entrepreneurs attempt to reduce the taxation on users, the excitement around the upcoming Shanghai and Capella upgrades resulted in a bull sprint for Ethereum, which I'm not even going to talk about those numbers. So we're going to end that one there. There wasn't very much, you know, very much more except a rah-rah for Ethereum. So here's the here's why I bring this to you. This is an example of eating your own. Minor extractable well, they used to call it minor extractable value. Then it went to uh, whatever this is uh, maximal maximally extractable value. Blah blah blah. It's a feature, not a bug, when it comes to Ethereum. And this feature is so reprehensible to Ethereum users that they have to actually block it. What, what am I getting at here? It means that they're, they're so inwardly focused on combating themselves. See, and this is what I don't want to have happen. This, this is what I don't want to see happen with ordinals and inscriptions. That we get so focused on ordinals and inscriptions and saying this is bad for Bitcoin that you end up in an internal war. Because that's what this is. This MEV bullshit that's going on with Ethereum. This is one of the reasons why I sleep well at night because I own no Ethereum. I got rid of my Ethereum a long time, years ago. I was still living in Lubbock. I, w- I think I wasn't, even, I wasn't even out of 2015, which is when I first got into all this stuff in the first place. It may have been the summer of 2016. I'll give it the summer of 2016. And I was done. I was done, I was like, this is all bullshit. The only thing that actually makes any sense to me at all is Bitcoin. And since I've been in Bitcoin, what I haven't had to experience is all the stuff that goes along with being an Ethereum holder. When you hold Ethereum, you have to worry about crap like this, where you've got 27 Ethereum interests banding together around a campfire to sing Kumbaya to try to mitigate a problem that Ethereum caused in the first place because of its architecture. You don't want to have any part of that. You don't want to be part of any organization at all that has massive internal battles every year for most parts of the year. So if you are still, for whatever reason, holding Ethereum, get out, get out, get out, and maybe examine Mutiny Wallet which has raised over $300,000 in pre-seed funding to build a private and user-friendly Bitcoin wallet, Bitcoin Magazine, BTC Casey. (coughs) Mutiny Wallet, a web-first Bitcoin wallet, has raised just over $300,000 in pre-seed funding, which will help them in their goal to build a user-friendly Bitcoin wallet with exceptional privacy, scalability, and accessibility. Founders of the company include Tony, Tony Giorgio, an engineer with substantial experience in Bitcoin and Lightning startups since 2008, Ben Carman, formerly the lead engineer at the Bitcoin company, and Paul Miller, who previously worked on Voltage's R&D team and has contributed to numerous projects in the Bitcoin and Lightning space like OpenSats, Fediment, and BDK. In the announcement, they detailed their desire to build a daily spending wallet for highly discerning cypherpunk Bitcoiners and their new coiner friends who are just starting down the rabbit hole after extensive experience in the Bitcoin industry. Mutiny Wallet is a self-custodial, privacy-focused wallet. It's capable of running anywhere, providing instant onboarding and platform censorship resistance. In addition to the wallet, Mutiny is developing a next-generation node implementation tailored to Mutiny Wallet and will integrate on-chain and Lightning privacy tools. The announcement explained how the company wants to make Bitcoin Lightning and privacy best practices as easy as clicking a link. Quote, we believe Bitcoiner best practices are best practices, and we want to bring the absolute best user experience and technology to enable users to use Bitcoin the right way and for the long term rather than cut corners for a quick win, the announcement added. The team behind Mutiny Wallet has already developed a proof of concept wallet and a first of its kind Lightning node in the browser. Tony Giorgio and Paul Miller spent the past six months at Voltage building the LSP that will power Mutiny Wallet and laying the foundation for a seamless and innovative user experience. The Vortex CoinJoin project developed by Ben Carmen is ready, but it needs the vertical integration to really succeed. Mutiny Wallet's investors include 1031, Brad Mills, Chris Hunter, American HODL, Tai Kawa. Kawamoto, and NVK. That's Novak, by the way. Uh, <clears throat> the company is also thankful to Voltage for incubating their project. To learn more about Mutiny Wallet and their funding journey, watch their Pleb Lab Builder's Day video. You can sign up for their wait list using your email address or key at app.mutinywallet.com. That is app.mutinywallet.com. And what was not mentioned in this story by BTC Casey is that Mutiny Wallet, Built a really slick uh, Nostr relay that uh, it, I won't get into what it does, but if you haven't checked out Mutiny Wallets uh, NOSTER relay and uh, Blaster, that's what it is. Oh, okay, I'll say it. It's a read only or or like a like a, like a I can't remember exactly what it is. you if you're part if you have that relay in your NOSTER profile, you're you actively using uh, Blaster. Right When you write a note, it reads that note and then blasts it out to 300 different relays. There are some people that are actually using the Blaster Relay and like two other relays alone. And they're getting the majority of what they need to get from the followers that they have and the followers that they follow. So if you haven't checked out Blaster, spelled like Noster, it's not T-E-R, it's T-R right at the end. But that's done by the Mutiny Wallet crew as well. So they're not exactly uh, resting on their laurels, are are they? Now, more news about Paxful. Uh, This is going to be important because it looks like I'm being proved out from what my uh, theory was yesterday. Uh, We'll talk about that here in a sec. Cointelegraph, Amaka Nowaka Acha. I butchered it. I'm sorry, dude. I didn't mean to do that. But Paxful shutdown hits Nigeria harder than the rest of the world, and here's why. The shutdown of the peer-to-peer cryptocurrency marketplace, Paxful, has left its worldwide community searching for alternatives, but it appears to have significantly affected the Nigerian crypto community. On April the 4th, Paxful declared that it would halt its operations. The reason for this decision, according to the founder, Ray Youssef, uh, was due to key staff departures and a unkind regulatory environment. According to the, tw- uh, the 2020 Geography of Cryptocurrency Report by Chainalysis, Nigeria ranked eighth in crypto adoption and usage among 154 countries including or included in the study. Acceptance and usage of crypto in Nigeria were not as high until Paxful pioneered the use of peer-to-peer technology in the country, helping expand the crypto industry. A Nigerian crypto user, Emmanuel Susef, pronounced it, I can't pronounce it, told Cointelegraph that the shutdown of Paxful feels like the death of a loved one as the exchange helped him make his first $100,000. He went on to say that Paxful was the go-to platform he used to trade gift cards from Amazon and Apple for Bitcoin as far back as 2015. They've been around for a while, y'all. Another member of the Paxful... Nigerian community data analyst, I can't pronounce his name, mentioned that in the early days of his career, he used Paxful to exchange the dollars he received from his employers as pay for Nigerian Naira. At some point, freelancers in Nigeria who worked for international companies were paid through Skrill, an online payments platform. Certain users on Paxful accepted the funds, so the freelancers could easily exchange it for Bitcoin or or cash. He explained that that this shutdown leaves a lot of other crypto enthusiasts in Nigeria wondering what the future holds for the crypto marketplaces. I have a theory on that. Over-the-counter vendor Akeem Abdulli expressed that a generation of OTC vendors was created by Paxful's escrow service. The vendors could buy gift cards from individuals who wanted to sell and were not literate enough to use the platform. Some community members took to Twitter to express express their worry about users getting their funds back. However, Yousef has assured users in a tweet that the Paxful team is working on clearing users' sendouts. Okay, yesterday I posited a theory that what this really is, is not Paxful shutting down as much as Ray Yousef and crew moving to a new platform, And leaving Paxful in the wind to twist because of U.S. regulations and that Ray Youssef and crew have no intention of stopping doing what they're doing. They just need to detach themselves from the extreme liability that it is of working within anything close to the United States regulatory environment. And they're doing so with Nunes and Bitnob. That's right. Bitnob, Bitnob, Bitnob. Yeah, that, that's coming from a boostogram. We'll get to that one later. Um, it so happens. That's the theory. Okay. That was my theory. So happens that sometime today, if not already right now, Matt O'Dell is sitting down with Ray Youssef to give an interview about Paxful and uh, probably they're going to talk about Nunez. I suspect And again, it's 9.14 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. I suspect that what we'll find out is that my theory is correct, that Ray Youssef is just saying Paxful needs to go away as an entity because it is too attached and too exposed to the dangerous landscape of United States regulatory environments, and that Nunes and Bitnob is going to be the way forward. They're not leaving Nigerians out in the wind to twist. They're not leaving the the country of Africa out in the wind to twist. They are, however, going to leave Paxful out in the wind to twist. They're stepping off that boat. They're stepping onto another boat. Matt O'Dell will either prove me 100% correct or completely wrong. (laughs) Let's run the numbers. Before we get into CNBC Futures and Commodities, I've got Boostergrams, but I've only got two. I'm now number 19 on Fountain Charts. I miss being in the top 10. If you guys can help me get back into the top 10, Boostergrams and Streaming Satoshis is the way to do it because the way the charting works in, in, on Fountain App is strictly by Satoshis. This is how I can prove to you that I'm not I'm not bulking up my own show by sending myself Satoshis. This is how you know. This is proof right here that I do not engage in that kind of crap, okay? I'm number 19. I was number nine. I've been number one before, but that was kind of an accident because somebody kept sending me boost and they were getting told that the boost didn't send, but the boost actually did send, so they sent me like, a million sats overall, something like that. And uh, tried to give him, or I offered to give them back, but I was told, just let it ride, bro. Let it ride. And I thank, I thank those individuals and that individual specifically for, for telling me that. But I am number 19. If I was boosting my own show, I've got enough sats to send me to number one and keep me there for a very, very long time. That's disingenuous and it is unethical. I'm not going to do that. So I'm asking... Once again, for your help to get me into the top 10. And Nick underscore dose is helping do just that with 3,456 Satoshi says, cheers. And then we have Fatoshi with a thousand sat says bit. He says, say bit knob one more time. I dare you bit knob, bit knob. Bit knob, nah, bit knob. Nah. Now on to CNBC Futures and Commodities. We've got West Texas Intermediate diving one third of a point to $80.41. Brent Norse off scant, $84.85. Natural gas, however, is up a two full pointer. Uh, and uh, let's see, gasoline is up 1.73% to $2.78. Shiny Metal Rock's not having a great day, uh, except for gold. Well, gold is unchanged, $2,038.30. Silver, however, is down, but uh, just a minimal amount. It's still hanging on to 25 bucks. Platinum is down almost to two full points. Copper is up a half. Palladium is down one and two thirds. Ag, we got, what do we got here? We got the biggest winner being coffee at 3.12% to the upside, followed by sugar 1.87% to the upside. When, uh, wheat wheat is your biggest loser, one and a quarter to the downside. I got live cattle up a third of a point. Lean hogs are up two and a half points. And FD cattle, feed cattle, maybe? Feed I don't know, uh, is up a quarter of a point. Indices, we got Dow as the only one making gains, but not very much. 0.08% to the upside, falling to 0.07 just now. S&P down a full half point. NASDAQ down a point and a half. And S&P mini is down just over a point. Real money struggling to $28,121. That's after more than half a million BTC have changed hands in the last 24 hours. 1.46 BTC is the average transaction value, 0.006 BTC is the median transaction value, which means more to me than anything else. Uh, That is about $191. Block times are slightly high, 10 minutes and four seconds. Haven't seen that in a while. Uh, we've got 0.22 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 31.73 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. We have had a 10% bump in hash rate, bringing us up to 357.9 exahashes per second. And Doge, your shitcoin indicator still hanging on for dear life at 9.6 United States pennies. And the minute, let's see if you hold on. Let's see if he's done that yet. Uh, Let's go to Twitter and see exactly what the hell's going on. I'll take anything. Yep. He still has Doge. He still has the Doge icon or the Doge meme or the Doge dog or whatever you want to call it as the Twitter symbol. The second he takes that off and he may not, because I have come to the conclusion that Elon Musk has plumb lost his mind. I mean, the dude's got bats in his belfry. I mean, it's like his brain's rattling around like a loose screw. I mean, the guy is just, it's a $44 billion bonfire for this guy. And a lot of that was not his own money. He went out and got money to do this. I don't know who he got money from, but I can't imagine them being very happy about this. So as of April the 5th, This will be the third day, as far as I know, the third day that Doge is the official icon for Bluebird app. It's appalling, really. Because if he ever takes that down, you know what's going to happen to the price of Doge. It's going to crash. It's going to crash. It's going to crash. So every day he keeps this thing up, he's pissing off the SEC. I he, the man has gone bonkers. If he already wasn't bonkers, he's definitely bonkers now. Anyway, we have a $539.9 billion market cap, which is just broken below Gold's entire market cap, we have 3.97% of gold's market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 13.7 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,337,699.5 of and 5,411.5 of those are locked in the Lightning Network, valued at $151.1 million, run over 16,360 nodes, sporting 74,561 payment channels, and 67.2% of all that's being run over TOR. Uh, there is a estimated difficulty change, an upward adjustment of 1.2% on April the 6th, which is coming up tomorrow. Uh, what do we got for, hold on. Yeah, what do we got for the mempool? We have 114. we'll call it 117 blocks. Uh, about 35,000 transactions are waiting to clear in those blocks. Where uh, there are no purges that I can see, 24 satoshis per vbyte is the lowest priority that you can get. We've rocketed up to 32 satoshis per vbyte. That's a buck 25 for a standard segwit transaction, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I'm not seeing anything being purged. Uh, However, memory usage on mempools around the world are 491 megabytes out of the standard default 300 megabytes. So something's being purged somewhere. I wish I could tell you what that fee rate was, but mempool.space is not playing nice, but that's the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news you can use. We're gonna start this one off with a letter. Dear son, from citadel21.com, written by Kudzai Kutwaka Kutukwa. K-U-T-U-K-W-A. I don't, I just don't wanna I don't wanna butcher his name and at least not give you the spelling for it. Dear son. I decided to write you this letter from the past. While at this point you were yet to be born, when you grow up and have read this letter for the first time, preserve it as part of my legacy and your inheritance. I intend to take you back in time where you get to see the world through my eyes during a bygone era. It is my heartfelt hope and intention that you will heed my words, dear son. You see, you now live in a world that a lot of us who have gone before could only dream of. A world free from the tyranny of central banking where the separation of money and state has been attained, where optimism and endless possibilities abound. Bitcoin has now severed the tie that existed for centuries between the state and money. But the journey to get to this point was an arduous one. The prosperity you are now enjoying did not come easily. It took multiple battles and lots of courage. My son, it is my hope. That after reading this letter, you will not only be ready to defend your personal liberty, especially your financial freedom, but that you will never bow your knee before any tyrant. The world is filled with all kinds of people, some that are truly wonderful and others that are extremely wicked and so drunk on power that they will stop at nothing to get more of it. I was born into a world dominated by central banks. Even though they pretended to be a you know, vital in helping to stabilize the economy, these institutions had been a cancer on human progress since their inception. The 20th century, which also happened to be when the power of central banks were consolidated, was the bloodiest century in history due to numerous wars that were funded and fought. Wars that were financed with cheap money that the central banks printed ad infinitum. Their monopoly on money issuance gave them the power to command human time, the most scarce resource, at a scale that even the Caesars of old could never even have dreamed of. A small group of men were able to dictate to the rest of us what the price of money was. They could devalue our money as they saw fit and borrow without restraint. Had we not stopped them, your generation would also be having your time stolen from you and would have been on the hook for paying debts that you had nothing to do with incurring. Initially, we thought that the answer was a reversion to the gold standard, which wasn't an entirely bad idea. However, this line of reasoning failed to recognize, among other things, that the central bankers had already captured gold. Helplessly, we watched unemployment skyrocket, the poor got poorer thanks to inflation, and the powers that be deceptively reassured us that all was well with the economy, We're in this together, they quipped. But in reality, we were on our own. My son, the first lesson I would like to draw from this is to never trust the government as it doesn't exist to promote your individual sovereignty and liberty. Liberty is always freedom from the government. It is the restriction of the government's interference. No form of government throughout history has ever succeeded in keeping the government in check. And as a result, many atrocities have been committed by governments in the name of quote, unquote, the greater good. Always be wary of what the authorities tell you, but learn to think for yourself and where it matters the most. Have the steadfast willingness to say no. Be bold enough to speak the truth, even if it's unpopular or politically incorrect. Satoshi Nakamoto identified the reliance on trust as the root problem with the fiat monetary system. It couldn't function without trust, and the unfortunate part was that we had to place our trust in the very same people and institutions that were hell-bent on screwing us over. As a trustless, open-source, peer-to-peer, and permissionless monetary system, Bitcoin changed all of that. It was the first successful digital monetary system that required no centralized planning or control of any kind for it to function. While your generation may take this for granted in my day, this was a very novel and controversial concept. Most people therefore instantly dismissed it. This brings me to the second lesson I want you to learn. My son, do not be quick to dismiss new ideas that seem strange or weird before you have taken the time to understand them. Many people missed the opportunity to buy Bitcoin early because they refused to do this. As a result, when central bank digital currencies were rolled out, they were immediately forced into the 21st century serfdom because they had no way to defend their financial sovereignty. My son, while today, you are now enjoying the second iteration of La Belle Époque, Free from Central Bank Tyranny, and unsound fiat money, you must understand that the economic prosperity that your generation now enjoys did not come on a silver platter. There were multiple battles that had to be fought to defend and preserve the purity as well as the inherent beauty of Bitcoin. Despite having the odds stacked heavily against them, the people fighting for Bitcoin as a decentralized, apolitical, and incorruptible form of money never let go of their conviction. The third and final lesson I want you to glean from this letter, my beloved son, is that you must always be willing to fight for what you believe in. The truth is not a popularity contest, and it will always be opposed by those who profit from the propagation of falsehoods. Despots and tyrants will always appear on the scene in different forms, and they are masters of deceit. Bitcoin was Satoshi's gift to the world, and it's a gift that should not be taken for granted. Always remember President Reagan's words. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. End quote. Many more battles await your generation. As these despots will seek to find ways to control or co-opt the Bitcoin protocol. Always be vigilant and ready to defend and maintain your financial sovereignty when required to do so. I will end this letter. With a quote by Thomas Jefferson that remains true today as it was centuries ago, he said, quote, If the American people ever allow private banks to control the issuance of their currency, first by inflation, then by deflation, the banks and corporations that will grow up around the banks will deprive the people of all property until their children wake up homeless on the continent their, conquered, their fathers conquered, end quote. Our generation defeated the central bankers. As a result, your generation gets to live in a world running on the Bitcoin standard. Centralized powers will try yet again to regain their lost power by hook or by crook. Don't let them win. Love, dad. Kind of poignant. Makes a lot of sense. But there's one thing in here that I want to I want to go back to The third and final lesson I want you to glean from this letter is that you must always be willing to fight for what you believe in. The truth is not a popularity contest. The truth is not a popularity contest. There's a quote and I think it's either in the movie Margin Call or The Big Short, and it was overheard at a Washington DC bar. Truth is like poetry, and most people fucking hate poetry. There's a lot of poignancy in that one thing. Nobody likes the truth. Even people who say they like and will fight for the truth, hate the truth. Because the truth is that for centuries, we have been in prison and we don't know how to act if we actually ever break out of it. That's the fear. The real fear is not getting out of prison. It's not understanding that you are in prison. It's not understanding that you were born into a prison. It's the fear of what happens if you do break out. What happens then? What does that look like? And the truth is nobody knows the truth about that. So what do we do? Do we remain in prison? Do we just sit here and work our little nine to fives and put money into our 401Ks so that we can decay in a much I don't know, more comfortable manner than decaying under a bridge in a tent because decay is what we have. Not just in society, but that's the human condition. We all die. And right before we die, many of us either get sick or we just don't feel well or we don't have as much energy as we did. And why is that? Do you think that that's always been the way of humanity? That we just get sick and die? That, that we just run out of energy? I mean, I, I wonder about that sometimes. I wonder if it's not the case that humans have all the mental energy in the world if they are in the proper environs. Environs being in, in another word for environments. Like surrounded by beauty and in nature and not worried about your 401k. I'm not saying ditch your 401k guys. I'm just saying if that's all you think about, if, if the only thing that lifts you up during your day, like if you're having a bad day at work and you go and you look at your Charles Schwab account and look at your 401k, if that's the one fucking thing that puts a smile on your face, well, I'm here to tell you that's probably not the thing that should be putting a smile on your face because that means every, if that's the one thing that does that, then that means that everything else around you is pure shit. And there's no reason humanity should live like this. We're not meant to live like this. We're not meant to live in like these boxes. And when I mean box, I mean a house with four walls and a roof. And we're not talking about the the fact that we need to live in the rain and snow, I'm saying shelter is you know shelter is critical. But somehow or another, I get the feeling that boxes on top of land are probably the most inefficient way to keep in heat and keep hold you know keep cold out. I've always I, I, everybody thinks I'm absolutely batshit crazy when I say that if I was given the chance to live in Bilbo Baggins Bag End House, which is a hole in the ground, I'd be there. I'd have a U-Haul sitting outside. It. I'd be ready to move in because I know that that dwelling, being as clean as it is, because you you can build underground and not be infested by bugs, ladies and gentlemen. It. It's possible. We have the technology. I mean, it's like the $6 million man over here. We can rebuild it. We have the technology. You can... You can do this. I can do this. Anybody can do this. And it doesn't have to be ugly. I've seen some seriously fine dwellings that are built into the side of a hill. And why would people do that? Dude, you want to talk about being protected from the elements? Get six foot underground. You won't see water. (laughs) (coughs) Plus you got, well, I won't get into it. I'm just saying that I would do it in a heartbeat. There's so many things that I see that, and I'm not even telling you how you should live. I'm just saying, if I'm forced to live in a box above ground, I know that somehow or another, this isn't kind of right for me. I should literally be, be a hole dweller. I'm serious, man. But be that as it may, getting back to the, the notion of truth. Nobody likes it. Even the people that say they like it. They don't like it because the truth that we're living in today is very ugly. Just because the truth is good and wholesome and you will know the truth and it will set you free and God's words of truth and Jesus' words of truth doesn't extract the pain of the situation that we are living in because that's the truth. And maybe we should all be writing letters to our sons and our daughters. Maybe we should be writing letters in the future for ourselves. Maybe we should pretend to be our own fathers who wrote us a letter before we were born. And even if you don't sit down and actually write the letter, what does that look like? What would your dad tell you? What would you tell your son if you don't have one? What would you tell your son if you do? Let's get into more news. BTC-backed stablecoins will be an integral part of the Bitcoin economy. Yeah, we're going to need some humor here. Bitcoin magazine David Saroy is writing this one. Bitcoin as a hedge against monetary debasement is only half the battle. As sovereign debt goes parabolic, rate hikes become unviable without breaking the economy. Instead... It seems probable that governments will use taxation to quell inflation and reduce deficits. When governments collect taxes, they remove money from the economy and reduce the purchasing power of individuals and businesses. This reduces demand for goods and services, which in turn helps to control inflation and deficits without the economic blunt force trauma of rate hikes during a debt crisis. The hedge against these risks... To hedge against these risks, Bitcoin must not only protect against the hidden tax of monetary debasement, but also against a literal tax. The problem is that the world is not yet ready for a pure Bitcoin standard without dollars. Dollars still provide a service even for the most ardent Bitcoiner. Dollars are the most widely accepted and most stable despite inflation risk currency unit. As such, governments could use the existing demand for dollar access as choke points for taxation or even bail-ins. As an example, we could see higher capital gains tax levied on Bitcoin sales, a sales tax on any Bitcoin spent in the real economy, or a bail-in where dollars held in bank accounts receive a haircut to socialize debt burdens. The solution is to create a, a way for Bitcoiners to access dollars without spending their Bitcoin. In a parallel system, which maximizes tax exposure, counterparty risk, and dependency on legacy fiat rails. As an added benefit, this system should drive savings into Bitcoin as opposed to competing for savings as stablecoins backed by U.S. treasuries do. Over-collateralized Bitcoin-backed stablecoins on Bitcoin DeFi rails provide the most viable path toward these goals. The advent of projects like Sovereign Dollar using Zero Protocol and Fuji Money on Bitcoin sidechains, most notably Rootstock and Liquid respectively, allow users to borrow dollar stablecoins against their Bitcoin in a quasi decentralized way. Each implementation uses different mechanisms to maintain the peg. However, the core premise is that Bitcoin collateral is locked into a smart contract and a new stablecoin is minted into existence as a dollar-denominated loan against the collateral. God, this sounds terribly familiar, ladies and gentlemen. The stablecoins can be redeemed for $1 of Bitcoin at any time, thus maintaining the stablecoin peg and justifying the moniker of Bitcoin-backed stablecoins. It's important to note that these are over-collateralized stablecoin models which are fundamentally different from algorithmic stablecoin models such as Terra Luna as well as fiat-backed stablecoins such as USD, uh, Coin, and Tether. Overcollateralized collateralized stablecoins are generally considered the most credible way to create censorship-resistant stablecoin and, in this author's opinion, is the model most similar to the Austrian economist Ludwig von Mises' description of commodity credit. Overcollateralization or over overcollateralized stablecoins are predicted on always. I'm going to do that one again, man. It's been a weird morning. Overcollateralized stablecoins are predicated on always ensuring there is more value in Bitcoin collateral than there are outstanding stablecoin claims. This is the stablecoin equivalent of full reserve banking backed by Bitcoin. You can read the specifics of how each protocol maintains its peg during times of extreme volatility via the previously provided links. And they are up there in the in the, in the the thing. Uh, oh, by the way, I provide all the links now to all the stories that I read in the show notes. So you can just go find this one. It's going to be there in the show notes. Just look in the show notes and you'll find it. Continuing further, each protocol offers two distinct but related products. Number one, Bitcoin-backed borrowing. The ability for users to borrow stable coins as a loan against their Bitcoin collateral, often at 0% interest rate and a small origination fee. Number two, Bitcoin-backed stable coins. As a byproduct of borrowing against Bitcoin, stable coins are minted into existence. However, anyone can access and use these Bitcoin-backed stable coins regardless of whether they themselves took out the loan to issue the stable coins. Each product appeals to both the Bitcoin maximalist and the dollar maximalist, since the stable coins can be held as a liability, uh, stable coins which are owed, C.1, number one above, or an asset, stable coins which are owned, C.2 above. For Bitcoin maximalists, dollars can be accessed without selling Bitcoin at a 0% interest rate with no set loan term. For dollar maximalists, the primary benefit is holding a stable unit of account, For both parties, the benefits include no KYC, permissionless cryptographic proof of reserves and censorship resistance. To recap, Bitcoin backed borrowing allows Bitcoin holders to access value without selling and potentially incurring taxable events As a byproduct of the borrowing, Bitcoin-backed stablecoins are minted into existence as a stable unit of account that can be spent or held with the added benefit of censorship resistance and without reliance on the fiat banking system. Bitcoin-backed borrowing and Bitcoin-backed stablecoins align the incentives of disparate parties with Bitcoin as a shelling point. Consider the following examples of such parties. Number one, the Bitcoin hodler. An individual who holds mostly Bitcoin but still requires dollars to pay expenses. Long term, they don't want to sell Bitcoin and incur a taxable event nor risk losing the potential upside on price appreciation. The dollar hodler. An individual who needs dollars but has limited access to dollar banking or has concerns with recent bank failures. Therefore, they need a credible way to hold dollars outside of traditional fiat rails. The maximalist hodler. An individual who lives off Bitcoin and does not need dollars but acknowledges some material amount of the world will use dollars. Therefore, they prefer dollars used by others to be backed by Bitcoin because it indirectly supports number go up by reallocating savings into Bitcoin as collateral. Each of these disparate and self-interested individuals have a shared cooperation around Bitcoin. For example, The demand for Bitcoin backed borrowing by the Bitcoin hodler pushes Bitcoin as pristine collateral into smart contracts, which are in turn used to mint credibly censorship resistant stable coins for the dollar hodler. Correspondingly, the demand for credibly censorship resistant stable coins is what drives demand for collateral, which pushes up the price and adoption of Bitcoin for the maximalist hodler. A beautiful incentive alignment and virtuous cycle leads to a flywheel effect where all parties perpetuate the goals of the other. We can see how similar monetary flywheel dynamics played out both historically and in the present day in the euro Euro-dollar system. Euro-dollars were born out of the world's insatiable desire for dollars. To meet demand, offshore banks loaned dollar-denominated liabilities, aka euro-dollars, into existence against the risk-free collateral US treasuries. Unfortunately, the insatiable demand for dollars, which manifested itself as a parabolic growth of euro dollars, led to, one, mass U.S. sovereign debt issuance, two, mass collateral reuse, a.k.a. rehypothecation, and three, widespread opaque monetary practices. Put another way, in order to issue vast amounts of dollar globally, The Euro-dollar system borrowed gargantuan debts from future generations while taking on devastating levels of leverage, all while being hidden under a veil of shadows. Compare this to Bitcoin-backed stablecoins. The system collateral is built on savings instead of debt, can be programmatically restricted from collateral reuse and fractional reserve, and is built on-chain so that it has cryptographic auditability. With Bitcoin-backed stablecoins, the same insatiable desire for dollars that has existed for decades has pushed debt to historic highs and will be instead channeled into non-rehypothecated Bitcoin collateral underpinning the broader dollar monetary system. For context, the euro-dollar system was recently estimated to be $57 trillion. That's trillion with a T, There are other solutions for Bitcoin-backed borrowing as well as stablecoins. However, these solutions may be inferior to the over-collateralized model described above. Number one, Bitcoin-backed borrowing. For Bitcoin-backed borrowing, popular solutions include those offered by Unchained Capital and Ledin. These appear to be very reliable products that have generally served the community well. However, they require KYC-compliant personal data submissions, are limited to fixed loan terms, 10% plus interest rates, 1.5% to 2% plus origination or administration fees, very low loan-to-value ratios and liquidation thresholds of less than 50%, and perhaps most critically, have a reliance on the fiat banking system. Specifically, every dollar loaned by unchained, leaden, or similar companies is the downstream product of savings, which implicitly perpetuates the lifespan of the fiat machine. Any dollars in the fiat system are backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government. In other words, the redeemability of a single fiat dollar stems from government's ability to have indebted themselves by issuing treasuries and subsequently taxing the future productivity of their citizens to pay those debts. On the other hand, The existence of any single Bitcoin-backed stablecoin represents at least $1 of savings that has been reallocated from supplying the fiat system and instead into Bitcoin as savings. Number two, other stablecoins. Other stablecoin solutions often discussed in the Bitcoin community include stablecoins on Taro and RGB and synthetic USD using inverse perpetual swaps such as those enabled by Stablesats. These solutions should be welcomed and explored, but they do have limitations. For example, Taro has limited scripting capability, therefore it can only have trusted party asset issuance. Additionally, the Lightning Network lacks a global state, making it difficult to build for multi-party applications where many users are coming and going at different times. Ultimately, it is this author's understanding that because of these limitations, Building native Bitcoin backed borrowing and Bitcoin backed stablecoins on Tarot or the Lightning Network is not possible or comes with notable limitations. However, minting over collateralized Bitcoin backed dollars on sidechains, as described above, and possibly one day on Bitcoin validity rollups, then issuing them on Tarot or RGB in a centralized manner to benefit from the speed and cost of the Lightning Network may still be a viable use case. Stable Sats is another way to create a synthetic dollar while holding Bitcoin. This is done by using a derivatives market, specifically an instrument called perpetual inverse swaps. It works by taking a portion of user's Bitcoin and placing it onto a centralized exchange and taking a short position. If the Bitcoin price increases, it's offset by losses from the incorrect short bet. If the Bitcoin price decreases, it's offset Sorry, it's offset by gains on the correct short bet. Effectively, the short position maintains the value in dollars, regardless of fluctuations in the Bitcoin price. One issue with this model is that the trade is made on a centralized exchange, and thus the Bitcoin must be held custodially. Additionally, every synthetic stable that exists represents a perpetual bet against Bitcoin. If this market ever grew to substantial size, it not only becomes a centralized custody honeypot, but a consistent source of sell pressure against Bitcoin. Bitcoin backed lending and Bitcoin backed stable coins appear to function better when they are two sides of the same coin, as opposed to disparate products. Trying to create independent products for stable coins and Bitcoin backed lending has so far led to trade-offs of centralization, inferior products or implicit support from the fiat system. Bitcoin-backed stablecoins and Bitcoin-backed borrowing on DeFi does not come without risks. These products are still in their infancy. While they are in production and have been battle-tested, they still have yet to gain significant lindy. For example, see Lynn Alden's commentary regarding Bitcoin-backed stablecoin in her article, The Problems with DeFi and Crypto, and we have a quote from that. One, Users would have to trust the underlying smart contracts won't be exploited for the foreseeable future. Two, that the incentive mechanisms will continue to work for the foreseeable future to properly maintain over-collateralization through all market conditions. Three, that the price oracles won't be gained in any destabilizing way. And four, that the governance of the smart contract won't come misaligned with users or otherwise captured referring either to the specific contract governance or the underlying computational layer governance, end quote. While these concerns are valid, it is the author's belief that many of these limitations can be minimized and further refined with, with time. For example, should the Bitcoin community see fit a software fork such as OpStark Verify could be added to enable the trustless cryptographic two-way peg, in simplest terms, this would enable a validity rollup, which is a side like construction without the trust of a federation. In the interim, or if a trustless two-way peg is never merged with the Bitcoin code base, the smart contracts and oracles associated with Bitcoin backed borrowing and Bitcoin backed stablecoins are already being battle tested on trusted federations using real funds. The trust assumptions of a federation are not ideal but may be a limitation that the broader Bitcoin community is willing to take on in lieu of making any further changes to Bitcoin's code or of leaving the stablecoin space to centralized entities. However, should the community be open to trustless options, a seemingly idyllic solution could include a trustless bridge to a validity rollup which hosts a Bitcoin-backed stablecoin protocol as described above with the upgradability of the protocol burned and the roll-up having built-in natively decentralized BTC-USD oracle price feeds. As an added bonus, the peer-to-peer off-ramps to traditional fiat while the Bitcoin-backed stablecoin bootstraps a circular economy. A path to truly decentralized Bitcoin-backed stablecoins are obtainable and no longer fantastical dreams. Aside from the core functionality of Bitcoin backed borrowing and Bitcoin backed stablecoins described above, additional programmability can be built into these products, whether on a validity rollup or a federation. For example, fully encrypted end-to-end private transactions. It's reasonable to imagine a not-so-distant world in which we have fully encrypted private stablecoin transactions which are provably over-collateralized by Bitcoin and issued on a cryptographically trustless Layer 2 protocol which inherits the security and double-spend protection of Bitcoin. That is a noble goal worth pursuing. It's easy to get lost waxing poetically about a bright orange Bitcoin-only future. It's the in game vision many of us have often romanticized, but the reality is that getting there is still a long and potentially treacherous journey ahead, a journey which, by any conceivable stretch of imagination, requires a notable transition period of continued global dollar usage. While Bitcoin itself is inevitable, the speed at which adoption happens is not. Completely ignoring the existing reality of dollars may only push that inevitability further out instead. We can create better dollars, which are backed by Bitcoin. Dollars, which can be accessed by individuals without implicitly supporting fiat regimes and condemning future generations to unimaginable debt and tax burdens. Dollars, which can be provably backed by the most pristine collateral the world has ever known. Dollars, which can inherit the permissionlessness and censorship resistance of Bitcoin. And dollars, which don't rely on trusted human counterparties. Bitcoin-backed dollars have an opportunity to be the single greatest Trojan horse we have to reduce reliance on a fiat system. They are not some DeFi tool trying to gain affinity from Bitcoin, but instead tools which extend the ethos of Bitcoin. To the non-believers, change my mind. Why shouldn't Bitcoin have Bitcoin-backed stablecoins? All right, now, admittedly, that was a very long, very long one. It makes some good points, except I have my major, you know, as usual, my major reservations. It goes back to the truth. Truth is like poetry and most people fucking hate poetry. The truth here is that what he's getting at is that people want dollars because people are trapped in prison. And instead of breaking them out of prison, we're going to give them a synthetic dollar that somehow or another won't be corrupted by fiat regimes and those that have done this to us in the first place. My estimation is that something like this is easily gamed. It's not that I think he's wrong. It's not that I think his heart isn't in the right place. And it's not like I think that this shouldn't be pursued to the very end of its logical conclusions. However, what I think the logical conclusion is going to be is that it can be gamed and we'll be right back to where we started from because the truth fucking hurts. We're in prison. And having a better stash of cigarettes to be able to get stuff at the commissary when we get out you know, to the field so that we can go lift weights and play some basketball with our fellow inmates isn't really a solution in my view. However, here's what it does provide me, and I think about this while I, I was thinking about this while I read it. One of the things that concerns me is the loss of Bitcoin into the future. And I mean like, not burn addresses, I mean just unrecoverable funds. We got a 21 million Bitcoin cap. We got 2.1 quadrillion Satoshis. Okay, it seems like a lot. But attrition always happens over time. What if, what if, what if this could be used, a synthetic dollar could be used, and backed by bitcoin in an overcollateralized situation and that that's where the fdic might be able to come in is i've got bitcoin i've leveraged it you know oh uh, well unleveraged it 10 to 1 which means that i take 10% of the value of the bitcoin and i turn it into synthetic dollars and then something bad happens i get into a boating accident and i lose my hardware wallet with my synthetic dollars in it but not my hardware wallet with Bitcoin in it because that's in multi-sig and most likely contained by like somebody like Unchained Capital who originated the loan in the first place. Then I can recreate the synthetic dollars even though that I've lost the other ones. And can I prove that I lost the other ones? There's a sticker right there. That's a gameable issue. That's game theory just waiting to happen. I don't know the answer to that, but let's say I could knowingly, without knowing the data, and there's mechanisms that provide that, we're working on that now, that I can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that I no longer have those synthetic dollars, but I still have the Bitcoin. So I borrow another 10% of the value of the Bitcoin that I've got at Unchained Capital, and they send me on my merry way with a warning that says, could you please be a little bit more careful next time? We don't want to do this because every time we do, we're going to charge you a 1% fee. That, that I could see. As protection against Bitcoin that has been mined, protecting the circulating supply, then this kind of makes sense. But a lot of this other stuff is so gameable that I don't see it doing anything but falling into the same pattern of degeneracy that everything else has fallen into. Why? Because that's where, you know, we're all in prison. We're all gonna end up being degenerate at one point or another. We we don't know that we're in prison. Yeah, I kind of felt that analogy kind of fell on its face. You You fill in the blanks, but that's gonna do it for the morning roundup. Joke time. I ordered a giant duck at a fancy restaurant last night. The bill was huge. Beautiful. All right. All right. Final notes. Uh, Podcasting 2.0. Newpodcastapps.com newpodcastapps.com get off your legacy podcasting app it's going away anyway sooner or later i mean honestly those things are dead they just don't know it yet podcasting 2.0 has a lot of features that none of the legacy podcasting apps have with it you can boost the show you can help me get back into the top 10 charts on fountain you can stream me satoshi's But you can also like do clips. Uh, You can listen to other clips. That's a a good way for discovery, especially on Fountain. Um, There's whole communities that are starting to form. You can follow each other. You can look at each other's comments from different shows. And, and you know, honestly, I don't think that it's being used the way that, uh, I, I don't think it's being used to the limit at all the way that it could be used. What, What I would love to see though, is notes and other stuff transmitted by relays be somehow or another injected into the whole podcasting 2.0 thing where it comes to replies and being able to comment on people's podcasts, being able to reply to other people's comments, making clips and releasing to the world. I think that would be great for Discovery because podcasting is not going to go away. I would dearly love to get back into the top 10 I can't do it myself because if I did, it's unethical. It means nothing. It means nothing. If I throw a million sats at myself to boost myself back into the top 10, it gives me no information as to where I'm going. And since I'm going down, it seems to me <laughs> that I may not be uh, bringing you the kind of information that you guys want. So with a boostogram, you can tell me what you want. And I'll do my best to give it to you. I may not be able to deliver on that, but I will, I will definitely give it, give it a good shot to see if I can. Get me back into the top 10, and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.